For January 7th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 549. How do we never forget? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like, well, we're like a, a bunch of bunch of guys who met in the first day of orientation for a uh, for an august and storied institution, and have kept in touch throughout our entire careers. Except our uh, organization was not. The United States Congress, it was a marching band in college, and we're still <laughs> friends, lo, these 20 years later. I'm Matt Rather, and these are my good friends, Matthew Belinky. Hey, Matt. Hey, how you doing? It's really great to have you on the show. Man, I can't believe it's been 20 years. Yeah, really. 20-ish. Uh, do, I mean, do you feel 20 years older? Then, then I, yeah. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> did, did you actually expect me to be like, nope, not at all? <laughs> and Pete Fenzel. Hello, Matthew. How are you today? Oh, hey. I'm fine. Hey. Heavy breathing. Heavy breathing. Heavy breathing. Hey, listen, we are going. We are here to discuss the film Vice, uh, starring Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. It is a a biopic, sort of. It is a polemic, sort of. It is a, I, I mean, it is a Moorian documentary, right? A, a Moorish documentary, I guess. And <laughs> um, in, in the sense of in the sense of Michael Moore, which you know, it's it's less a documentary than it is a film with documents, and the number of scenes in which people pass, you know, top secret folders around is. Uh, um, that's it's it's a very high count, uh, yeah. and uh, and you know we we all have have seen this movie, and I think we have uh, I think we have a similar reaction though in in different degrees to seeing Vice. So you know, spoiler alert for Vice, but it's not. Um, uh, it's not important. I mean, you probably know the recent history of who Dick Cheney is and some of the highlights of the things that that he's done. Uh, a lot of his character is uh, is filled in, or at least lesser known episodes in his life are filled in. But um, uh, but you know, th- it is uh, a film written and directed by Adam McKay, uh, formerly of Funny or Die, and uh, more recently of the film adaptation of The Big Short. And this is sort of in the tradition of that. It's a, it is a narrative film polemic, I think, because it, it is as much engaged in argumentation um, as it is in storytelling and uses a lot of, uh, uses a lot of um, different techniques to do it. And I, I, think we, I think we need to actually piece apart the different parts of this movie, but I will leave that uh, until later um what did you guys i mean what 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 uh what was the vice (laughs) (laughs) depicted in this in this film um no you know what that's a bad intro let me let me go into this let me go into this a different way in three uh recent works of kind of biopic history uh this sort of storytelling there is there seems to be kind of an absence at the heart of the 
uh, an absence at the the center of the work and kind of at the heart of the character. One is uh, the Freddie Mercury biopic Bohemian Rhapsody, which we talked about on the show several weeks ago, where you know one of our knocks on that movie. Uh, not that it was primarily Knox, but uh, but one of the things that we pointed out about that movie is that it didn't have a, a coherent theory of Freddie Mercury. And we talked a lot about whether you can have a coherent theory of Freddie Mercury, given that Freddie Mercury was, for a lot of his life, vaguely incoherent. Uh, another is the musical Hamilton which is a, among other things, a sort of bio-musical of Alexander Hamilton and features a song called The Room Where It Happens where uh, it talks about the, the compromise that ended up moving the capital of the, the new United States of America from New York to Washington, D.C. And the song um, called The Room Where It Happens is about how no one was in the room where it happens and like the, the, the compromise that was struck between Hamilton and Jefferson and whoever else was in there, John Adams, maybe someone like that, is, is ultimately unknown uh, and unknowable to us because no one else was in the room where it happens. And then this is a, uh, this is a film. There is right before the, 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 Shakespeare, <laughs> the uh, Shakespeare scene um, where the narrator played with, with a plum by Jesse Plemons uh, who, whose name should be Jesse Aplomens for all the aplomb that he brings to the roles that he plays. Um, a really interesting actor who does, who just ends up in really interesting work, you know. Uh, he says, you know, we can't really actually know what they were thinking or what the decision to become vice president what what motivated it? Uh, I think the argument of the film is that there is a single sinister, dark intention through throughout it. Um, but it seems to it seems to also be foregrounding the idea that there is no that that there is something ultimately kind of unknowable. And even to the extent that we have a lot of information, though it, the film also makes the point to say that records, you know, scrupulous records were not kept. A lot of emails are blacked out. A lot of things were quote unquote lost uh, by the uh, Bush administration, by uh, the 43rd president, George W. Bush's administration, like that um, even even if we were to have all the emails, there would be something fundamentally unknowable uh, at the heart of the character. Um, though it, it seems to be having its cake and eating it too. I don't know, guys. Do I have... Uh, Pete, what do you think? Do, do I have a, a decent read on that? Or do, or do you feel like um, the film is a little less scrupulous about uh, it, the unknowability of its subject than I'm making it out to be? Um, there's a couple of different ways to look at it, I think. One, and a lot of it has to do with what you see as the kind of primary energy of the film, I get, which I would substitute for intention, because I'm not sure that this is a film where the intention the intention isn't really the most interesting thing about it because the intention is pretty obvious. Right. It's that I don't like Dick Cheney. I don't like his politics and I'm going to make a hit piece about him, which is, you know, fine, fine and dandy. But uh, but the movie becomes a lot more than that because of all of the stuff that gets thrown into the blender. And so I guess what you're saying here is is uh, when I hear that, I'm thinking, Yes, there is an absence. There is sort of a symbol that doesn't really have an antecedent that is in all of these works. There's this cipher that is this person. And I I can't help but think that that might be a failure uh, or it might be a success because they might be approaching the idea of the biopic as as a sort of outdated genre that requires some sort of deconstruction. Uh, This could be sort of a postmodern approach to a biopic where who the person is never really – uh, exists 
And I guess maybe that's maybe when I think about this movie and how it relates to the mysteries that it places inside Dick Cheney's head, but then overwrites with its own intention, right? Because it's not just like, oh, there's the moment where Dick and Lynn Cheney are talking in silence, and then and then it's like, and they acknowledge that they don't know what they said, but then they give a Shakespearean monologue which says what they think they said, right? It's sort of like this is a movie that's all about cake, having cake, eating cake, <laughs> eating more cake, buying another cake, right? Like telling yeah, your wife the dangers to your health from when you eat too much cake. Exactly, exactly. Basically, the worldwide distribution of cake and what sort of levers of power are pulled in order for it to be distributed. Um, and in that sense, it tries to have its cake and eat its too. So I'm not sure whether the movie is interested in kind of a materialistic sense, the energy of the movie in a materialistic sense of Dick Cheney is what Dick Cheney did. And when sort of what is sort of behind the veil is a blank, right? Or is it that Dick Cheney is who Dick Cheney appears to be and his own intentions are irrelevant because he is, as the movie calls him, a dirtbag uh, and, and, and sort of a party to a thing that happens. And it, it's we're not supposed to care what he wants, Right. Like like uh, or there's the arc of the heart, I guess, which is the other weird editorialization that the movie makes, uh, which is which would put what that the thesis of the movie is that Dick Cheney is a supervillain with one redeeming quality that at the very end of his political career, he sacrifices for no good reason, uh, proving that he is, in fact, worthless as a human being, uh, I guess. I don't know. I mean, Matt, what do you think? About all this stuff. I mean, first of all, I think that in an interesting sort of contrast with uh, the Queen movie that just came out, I feel like this movie makes more of a claim to truthiness because, I mean, the, the Queen movie took liberties. Everybody understands it. And I think the filmmakers will be upfront about the fact that, like, they, you know, uh, compress things uh, time wise. They, they, you know, selectively uh emphasize certain parts of the story for dramatic effect right and and they're upfront about that that this is more to sort of capture uh the spirit of queen than be like a a documentary recreation of exactly how it went down blow by blow whereas this movie you know has this disclaimer at the beginning that's uh that we we, we did our we did our uh, uh expletive deleted best right <laughs> so, so that like this movie wants you to believe that like you know although there's much that is unknowable we really are trying to present things as it really happened. We are not taking liberties to make it a better story, right? Um, that may be disingenuous, but I, I do think it's a difference in the way the filmmakers are sort of like appealing to the audience. I mean, I would say – here's the thing. It, it, it may be absolutely true that like you know, only the shadow knows what lurks within the darkness of the human heart or however the, the old thing uh, went. But Dick Cheney – has left a voluminous uh, documentary evidence about like what he claims have been his own motivations, which I feel like have been very conspicuously omitted from the movie, with with one big exception, which is like the very final scene where the Dick Cheney character turns towards the camera and basically says that like what I did, I did for the safety of all Americans, and you know if you are going to question my decisions and the and the sacrifices I made to sort of like our civil liberties, tell me like what lives you would have exchanged for those abstract principles, which I think is interesting. But like earlier in the movie, just to, to pick one example about the the genesis of the Iraq War, the way that they presented from my from my memory. 
Henry is that um, they have like a pollster who's sort of like, well, the war on terror is a little bit nebulous. People have people would prefer if we had like a real physical enemy that we could attack, you know, somebody with a flag. Um, and then that that would be more popular. And so they just sort of like pick a rack out of a hat as a as a ratings ploy. Right. But the real Dick Cheney would tell a very different story. He would be like, we have. You know, and, and putting aside the, uh, the 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 evidence that he drums up in front of the United Nations, I think that Dick Cheney would claim that the United States has numerous strategic reasons why we would want to go to war and why we would want to create a stable democracy in Iraq as like a stepping stone to like transforming the whole Middle East. And the idea that that Dick Cheney might feel like the United States actually has a strategic interest in creating this war rather than the Bush administration has a political interest in creating this war is really not even entertained in the movie, even though that's what they said public. You know, it's, it's almost like every perspective is entertained except for the what they actually would, would say to defend their own actions. It's interesting. It's funny. When you said the Queen movie that just came out, I was like, oh, yes, of course, because I just saw Mary Queen of Scots, uh, which is another which is another biopic <laughs> and is also another Queen movie that just came out. And I don't want to bel- belabor that point, but Mary Queen of Scots is all the way on the other side where it's like, in all three of the movies, Bohemian Rhapsody, Vice, and Mary Queen of Scots, I would say have like a comparable relationship with correspondent truth, where they make a whole bunch of different sorts of sacrifices and changes in order to make the story better, in order to make certain sort of arguments or uh, omit making certain arguments about people. Uh, but they all have different relationships with how much truth they claim is in the movie. And Vice is like, this is a true story when it, it is omitting things very conspicuously. Bohemian Rhapsody is like, this is a really fun action rock adventure. And like, yeah, it's not entirely right, but like, you know, it's kind of romanticized and it has the music and it's fun. Whereas Mary Queen of Scots is like Mary Queen of Scots, like speaks English with a Scottish accent, has like a black manservant with a mohawk, right? Like hangs out with a gay dude who is like a bard that has gender queer and changes his outfits, is personal friends with Queen Elizabeth and like meets with her and like talks with her about her situation. Like the Mary Queen of Scots movie is like, we don't care what Mary Queen of Scots was actually like, raised in France, right? Uh, not Scottish, really, only only vaguely ethnically Scottish. Um, but uh, but uh, let alone able to like converse with the common Scottish people in a way that no one else is able to. But we're trying to make a point about people either generally or specifically using this historical figure as a symbol. And the Bohemian Rhapsody thing is like Freddie Mercury was always kind of a symbol. He was a cipher. We don't really know what he was all about, but he's a symbol for a whole bunch of stuff. Let's revel in the symbol. And then with the Dick Cheney movie, it's like we want to make Dick Cheney a symbol. He's sort of a symbol, but he's not. I don't know. I just thought it was fun to introduce a, a second Queen movie. I guess a third Queen movie, if you think of Lynn Cheney mm-hmm. as the third as the third Queen or the fourth Queen in this situation. But I hear what you're saying about like <laughs> it is conspicuous that like. They say Dick Cheney is the most secretive, you know, leader ever or whatever at the beginning of the of the movie. And they never consult like his own autobiography. Right. Like which I know I I doubt he told the truth in it. But like because who would tell because a politician, you know, like you're going to be saying things with an agenda all the time. But it is interesting that it's never it doesn't seem to even be consulted. What do you guys think about um, the claim that the movie makes uh, first of all, it says that it, the movie says that this is a true story, and it claims that the donor for Dick Cheney's heart is a soldier who fought in Afghanistan and was transferred from a tour in Afghanistan to a tour in Iraq, only to make it home after the war, get hit by a minivan, uh, and and get his heart immediately delivered to Dick Cheney. 
Um, I don't think there's any reason to believe any of that is true. I might be wrong, but I don't think there's publicly available information as to who Dick Cheney's heart donor is. But A, that they would claim that this is Dick Cheney's heart donor, and B, that they would make this person the narrator of the movie in order to give the movie's kind of overarching polemic the legitimacy of the perspective of that person, I thought was a really interesting choice. I mean, what did you think about that? Yeah, the the Oracle, I mean, the Wikipedia uh, article is... um says that it was an anonymous donor. So it sounds like there isn't any, uh, it sounds like there isn't any basis for the claim that they make. So it's more the sort of, I mean, it's more the poetry of the thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. that this is a person who survives the havoc wrought by, by Dick Cheney. It's, I mean, I think it's a point about sort of service or the, you know, those who serve, right? Like they also, they also serve who only stand and wait to get hit by a car. The, um, the soldier serves in in the military right uh is at you know putting his life at risk uh is doing his duty is in this sort of dubiously legal dubiously moral uh trumped up uh, sort of war uh and and then sort of cu- comes back and then in the end is sort of fodder is like uh is more kind of raw material right for Dick Cheney to kind of continue his uh, to continue his great work. You know? Yeah, but it's like it's not like Dick Cheney killed the guy to take his heart. <laughs> the, the movie kind of presents it that way. I mean, like the most critical thing that you could say with Cheney insofar as like that twist is concerned is that Cheney refuses to oh, at least according to the to the uh the dead narrator the 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 American beauty sort of speaking from beyond the grave narrator he refers to refer to it as like somebody else's heart he just refers to it as his new heart and that seems to be the main beef that the guy has but it just I mean it feels like I mean, like, the heart donations don't go to, like, who's the nicest person. They don't, like, add up your score a la The Good Place and decide who deserves to live and who doesn't deserve to. You know, it's like, if you weren't convinced that the movie had an axe to grind, the fact that, like, they showed the guy, like, playing with his kids, and, you know, it, it, he just seems like such a nice guy. He's Landry from Friday Night Lights. He's just such a likable guy, even in these sort of, like, the fleeting glimpses you get to him. Yeah, but he's also, he's also Todd, that, like, you know, so uh, yeah. you can't... The- the, the long shadow of Todd is everywhere here. <laughs> <laughs> and also the lawyer from The Post, right? I think is he, is he sort of like the Hamlet's ghost of prestige television and film now. <laughs> he just like appears as a third person per- yeah. peripheral participant. But I hear what you're saying. Definitely. I thought I thought the Eric Cartman-esque uh, associative montages of hyenas looked at through night vision was another indication that the movie had something of an axe to grind. I don't know. Uh, you know what really bothers me about this movie is that it makes me feel sorry for Dick Cheney. Yes. The movie is taking so many like pod shots because I feel like there's they almost like missed. I feel like they missed the points. Because, like, here's the thing. They, they make it seem like Dick Cheney's problem is that he is a man who lusts for power, and he just wants the maximum amount of executive power just because. Just because he loves to have power, right? And he loves to, like, sit in the situation room and make calls, and he doesn't even really care what the calls are. That, like, he happens to start a war in Iraq because, like, that's what gets him into a more powerful position. But he doesn't even really care, right? But I feel like no, that's— It's because his wife is going to leave him if he doesn't have power. That's, like, his big motivation for everything he does, right? Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, go ahead. 
this is, I mean, to, to contrast with a, another residence of the more recent resident of the White House, I don't think Cheney is the kind of character who just cares about what's best for Cheney. Putting aside things like, you know, whether or not he gave like no bid contracts to his own company, you know, that that he financially benefited from, which honestly like is in the movie, but it's not, I don't think it's a main thrust. I don't think the movie is really seriously arguing that Dick Cheney's president, uh, I'm sure, why not? Dick Cheney's presidency is just a long con to like enrich his stock options yeah. um but it's just it makes it seem like, i feel like the the tragedy or the 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 frustrating the enraging thing about dick cheney is that dick cheney wanted to transform the world and thought he knew how to do it and you know it went went to great lengths and sacrificed a lot in terms of like civil liberties in terms of life you know, in, in terms of like America's credibility, America's money, because he had this vision of how he could do things of like the the and, and he was wrong that that Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney bet a lot with other people's money and he was wrong about everything and that the movie doesn't really because the, the movie doesn't even make it seem like he had a strategic reason to get into war with Iraq besides the fact that it was polling well. But I feel like Cheney has this vision of like American power and and what America's role in the world should be. And the movie doesn't really give it voice. And I feel like without sort of like making it clear that like Cheney has this vision about like what America like like what he wants to accomplish, you're not really telling his story. Yeah, it's tricky because the movie on one hand wants to portray Dick Cheney as having no skills and doing no work because he's like a lazy, drunken frat boy, dirtbag. Right. It's like he dropped out of college. He's a hanger on. He's a yes man. He just values loyalty. And you never really see any scenes in the movie, especially the first half of the movie during the ascent of Dick Cheney's career, where he does any sort of work like West Wing style or like I'm even thinking like Better Call Saul style where like you watch Mike, you know, Mike uh, Ehrmantraut like, you know, rigs, rig a piece of machinery for 25, 25 minutes. Yeah, I think but, really, yeah. really crucially there that, that they make it seem like he wouldn't have even become a congressman had he not uh, fortunately been sidelined in his own campaign and his wife is the one who did the heavy lifting to get him elected. Right. So he is simultaneously does nothing and is worthless, but is also this master of the universe who is able to bring together this vast conspiracy for his own for his own benefit and his immediate friend's benefit. He is both this like he's both responsible for everything that this is a movie that cites the entirety of the second Iraq war and the Syrian civil war and only mentions three people in the entire movie actually living in the Middle East, right? This is like everything bad that has happened between the Mediterranean Sea and the Himalaya Mountains is the responsibility of a bunch of people in Washington, right? And and uh, so, but, but at the same time, Dick Cheney is supposed to be totally inept, right? He's supposed to be totally useless. And yet, how does he do so much? Uh, I mean, partly it feels like the movie is two movies put together that that well, I mean, there's that wonderful stroke in the middle with the credits. Oh, my goodness. I love that part. Did you guys get a kick out of that part? Yeah, it was it was. Well, yes, there there was. And I want to follow up on it. But but finish your point before I. But yeah, but basically, I it's like us. the movie wants us to think that Dick Cheney is stupid and useless and that he belongs to a class of people who are stupid and useless and lazy and fat. And they're fat because they're lazy. Uh, they're not fat because they like are stressed out. They're fat because they they don't have discipline, but that also control everything without doing anything. And and then he also wants us to believe that he has his fingers in every pot and is sitting in every office and is making every decision despite being like incompetent, which just seems like 
you're, I mean, really what it comes down for me is like, I feel like when Dick Cheney's giving the last speech at the end of the movie, I feel like Adam McKay is kind of the voice of that speech too, where he's like, yeah, you're going to look at this movie and you're going to immediately start criticizing it because it has all sorts of problems. But I, if you felt that there was a monster out there, wouldn't you do whatever it takes to take down the monster? That That's sort of what it feels like. And it's like he's throwing stuff at the wall and he's kind of hoping that some of it is going to stick, uh, I guess. But I didn't get the sense of an underlying thesis of Cheney through any of it. Sorry. Sorry, Matt. I'll, uh, I'll pass the baton. It's there's a lot to talk about. It's a very, very uh, provocative movie. It's it creates a lot of feelings. Well, and that, right, exactly. And I think that that's a lot of that has to do with the the film technique, right? And and to a certain extent, like we have to piece apart the the different aspects of of this movie. I think in order to be able to talk about it, like one is well, what was the intention, or where is the energy, as you say, Pete, like being being directed, or what is the axe. Uh, what is the axe that it's trying to grind? I mean, axe is actually a metaphor uh, that shows up in in the movie. Do you wield power like an axe, or do you wield power like a switchblade? Oh no, not a switchblade, a butterfly knife, right? And you see the the um, a cutaway to uh, someone, you know, kind of unfurling and and reclosing the butterfly knife, which is which is great because like um, the other the the next part is maybe the the film technique right and the very audacious sort of non-realistic um highly you know highly polemical use of montage use of music uh and use of 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 kind of non-realistic you know alienating film technique like like things on the screen text on the screen um cutting away to different things and by the way the the cutting away mixes fact and fiction, right? Because sometimes sometimes Reagan is Reagan and sometimes Reagan is the actor playing Reagan. You know? It was interesting to me who gets uh who gets impersonated in this movie and who doesn't. And it's not actually totally consistent. There are a couple of people who get both, or at least in in um at least in silhouette. Uh Reagan is one of those because I think he appears in in some of the scenes with Christian Bale. Uh the you know, um, George W. Bush is impersonated. George H. W. Bush is impersonated. Nixon appears as himself um, on television. You know, and that 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 is sort of a, a sort of interesting set of things. But then, did you notice that Jesse Plemons showed up in one of the montages of quote unquote real photographs? There was a picture of of soldiers uh, in, I guess, in Afghan Afghanistan, and he was uh, he was in that. And he, um, you know, wasn't, it was his character, not, not him. So it kind of bends, uh, bends fact and fiction. And then the other thing is the performances of the actors, which are, which are pretty good. You know, um, the, the Christian Bale kind of seems to make a meal out of a lot of what's going on, or at least they mix his heavy breathing very, very high, uh, in the mix. So it sounds like he's sort of snorting and, and sputtering and taking over every scene that he's in, because all you hear is this, this sort of Darth Vader sort of noise that he's making. Uh, but Amy Adams, great as great as Lynn Cheney, you know, as a kind of lady Macbeth, um, the the kids are very good. Allison Pill as Mary Cheney, um, Steve Carell, 
good in this movie. His uh, prosthetic chin doing an incredible amount of work uh, there to uh, create the character of Donald Rumsfeld, and you know, and on and on and on. It's it's uh, that's that's a sort of another that's another thing. But it seems like the the portrait that's created of the central character in the film is created by filmmaking, uh, is created by the director, and not necessarily by the actor, which is maybe in contrast to some of the other, um, to like Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, where mm-hmm. Rami Malek is, is, you know, sort of, it's his, it really is kind of his take on, on Freddie Mercury. And there's not a lot of sort of montage or it, it the montage is not used in a, uh, in a way to kind of manifestly interfere with, uh, the the work that the actor is doing in the, in the way that that it is in Vice and so like I actually to say that Pete uh, you know long way around the barn to kind of get back to your point to say that the film provokes a lot of feelings I, yeah I think that's because it kind of operates at this breakneck pace with this kind of maximalist associative montage uh, loud music sudden you know sounds of explosions to convey I think the horrors and kind of dis locations of of war um and and certain kind of poetic moments also where the kind of the nervous tapping of george w bush's foot under the desk as he announces the beginning of combat operations in iraq uh is is echoed by the terrified uh shaking of the limbs of a father hiding with his children under the table as bombs rain down from the sky in in baghdad or or wherever in iraq like that that uh those those sorts of things are there to uh, tug at the heartstrings, right? They're there to provoke um, to provoke response. I mean, it's literally provocative, and that's uh, you know I don't know. That's either a cheap shot or or it isn't a cheap shot. It's definitely the uh, the technique, though. It's definitely a technique that the the film is using, you know. Um, and it it reminded me of Michael Moore. I, I guess we need a like a, we need a continuum of like or maybe a, a sort of second axis two axis uh, field of uh, of being able to qu- to plot this on four quadrants. One being um, one being kind of alienating film technique. One axis and the other being. Uh, 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 how do you even say accurately reported truth or sort of non-polemical to polemical um, the the extent to which the film is make, interested in making uh, an argument about its t- central figure like sort of di- interested or disinterested versus like presentationalist and versus representationalist yeah exactly and that like so if you imagine those as two axes right this is this is a interested presentationalist uh film and it it definitely intends to be right yeah totally definitely what what do you guys think of the the vice thesis that that is sort of running through the piece cuz the piece cuz you're you're right and totally right in that it's meaning to be provocative the film introduces an an argument which is not a particularly exotic argument but an argument nonetheless that that is also the sort of style it's a sort of style justification for both this movie and the big short, which is that people are constantly seeking out party and distraction and fun and entertainment. And because of this urge or the reality of their indulgence in it or its availability, some combination of these things, people don't seriously interrogate the things that are really happening. 
And uh, which I felt like for me, I felt like there was a bit of irony there because this is a movie that sacrifices a lot of detail in what is happening in order to uh, entertain and sort of titillate and excite, provoke. Right. Um, Maybe not necessarily as much sexual titillation, although the scene where they're explaining it is like you're watching Raver Girls. It's very it's very Adam McKay, uh, as it were. But um, I mean, did you did you have any sort of reaction to that particular argument about that Dick Cheney wouldn't have been able to get away with what Dick Cheney got away with if people weren't so susceptible to the distractions of entertainment like Anchorman? Or Talladega Nights. <laughs> or the website, the website Funny or Die. <laughs> I guess Die was the option, I suppose. <laughs> it did feel particularly – so the very last thing that happens is like there's this mid-end credit scene where they cut back to the focus group. And the focus group has gone completely meta and is talking about the movie that we just watched. And it has this sort of conservative and this liberal argument, which is first, – first of all, I think it's funny that Adam McKay seems to be suggesting that like this is an even-handed movie that, that's a Rorschach test, right? That can be seen either way. The idea that like conservatives will watch this movie and feel like it was a, a wonderful and fair portrait of like a proud American. Um, but then then there's sort of like the the third character, the the girl and, and maybe not coincidentally, or, or or sort of like one of the one of the many sort of like wince inducing things about the final scenes that it's two men that are arguing the politics, and the woman turns to another woman and says, I'm really looking forward to the next Fast and Furious movie. And it's like <laughs> Wah, wah, that's the end. It's like, I hear, but I, I was like, I hear that, sister. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I too am really looking forward to the next Fast and Furious movie. Um, I mean, Hobbs and Shaw also, you know, the whole, <laughs> they're building out the whole Fastiverse, and I, for one, couldn't be more delighted. You know what, I mean, but just to... Add, I mean, I, th- there's a lot of things that seem particularly tone deaf about that coda and make me question whether Adam McKay understands the film he just made. But just one of many is the fact that, like, it would take him, like, five seconds to find out that, like, first of all, I mean, there is a Fast and Furious spinoff coming this summer, but it's not really the next Fast and Furious movie. It doesn't have Vin Diesel. And so, like, if all you wanted is, like, a, a little uh, pin in it about, like, how people only could are, are, are interested in like the next shiny pop cultural object. That's not even the right reference. You know, you should be making an infinity war thing. It, it just <laughs> sort of strikes me like Adam McKay couldn't even really be bothered. You know, like maybe that, that was written into a screenplay two years ago and nobody thought to update the reference and make it something that actually would have made the audience like think twice. Yeah, but the, the, <laughs> the proper opposition isn't uh, funny, serious. It's funny, solemn. Right. And serious versus frivolous. Right. It's another two, two things. And, and, uh, like Vice, the Avengers movie is very solemn, you know, and it's, they, they wanted something that was not solemn in tone to, to go at. I mean, I think, I think there's a reason that it can't be, though, though from the point of view of a large scale cultural distraction of a, of a big sideshow, you're absolutely right. That is the biggest, I mean, the MCU is the biggest game in town, I think, in terms of dollars and in terms of like uh, eyeball minutes or something like that. But it wouldn't have, you almost can't, you almost have to keep, um, uh, you almost have to keep uh, 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 
the the oh god what is it why can't i think of the word from wrestling the the, the k yeah the k fab of of yep. uh of like solemn you know solemn game recognized game solemnity game recognized solemnity game and you kind of can't call out avengers affinity war because you you pull the whole you pull the the thread on that and the whole uh the whole thing falls apart um, my, my favorite moment in that whole part of the movie or in that sort of scope, the sort of context that we're talking about, there's this great moment in the middle of the movie, which, again, speaks to what, Matt, I think you're saying in terms of I don't know if Adam McKay knows the movie you just made, that the the Cheney family is together and the wheels are in motion at this point in the movie towards Dick, either towards Dick Cheney becoming vice president or towards the war in Iraq. I'm not I don't remember exactly where it happens, but two of the daughters are talking about Justin and Kelly. Right. Oh, no, there's Justin and then there's Kelly. And those of us who lived through the time and remember with those of us who lived through the time this movie depicts, remember a lot of things that this movie doesn't quite go into. Uh, Moktada El Sadr being one of them. But uh, um, but uh, it talks about American Idol briefly. And then there's an associative montage which shows us Jeff Probst putting out the torch on Survivor. And I, I thought it was really interesting because the movie is purporting to say or at least you can sense that Adam McKay's intention, to the extent that this is relevant, is like they don't care about the fact that there's about to be this crazy war started. They're too busy watching American Idol and Survivor, which are like Nickelback quality butts of jokes about consumable garbage television. Except when you consider what they're about, right? American Idol and Survivor are about the various sorts of soft power and intangibles that lead large groups of people to coalesce around approving of a particular choice. And and that is the most relevant thing that anybody could be doing at that point in the story is watching Survivor or American Idol, because that's what Dick Cheney is doing in the movie, is figuring out how to get people to coalesce around a particular choice that doesn't necessarily offer them a particular sort of tangible benefit, but that influences them in various sorts of soft ways. And so, like many movies, like R.I.P.D. before it, I yearned for a slightly different movie that took on its subject matter with uh, more earnestness and more determination and more of a willingness to take risks in which they interrogate the idea of, okay, like – Dick Cheney is a man who was at the ascent and the sort of apex of his power in the peak of American Idol and Survivor. And like, what does that say? Instead of just dismissing American Idol and Survivor as irrelevant when they are the dominant cultural things happening in the country that you are talking about for the entire movie. Like Peter, so, to what I read, the manifest text, at least as far as I read it, was Survivor was that in a sort of tribal council, the neoconservatives had decided that Iraq's Iraq was being voted off the island, that Iraq's, oh. Iraq's torch was being... Um, snuffed out right and that that like it was not that it was the result of it was the result of this sort of contingent process and kind of self-interest being played out in the exercise of soft power among an in-group rather than of you know geopolitics per se see that yeah. see i like that i wish that i'd felt that in the moment when i was watching it 
Uh, maybe I just got too offended by the suggestion that that the Iraq war is the fault of people who like to watch TV, which is kind of absurd <laughs> yeah. on its face. <laughs> but <laughs> Matt, I, I kind of got the feeling neoconservatism was so glossed over in this movie. And it's yeah. so central to what I mean, I, I feel like a really critical, almost like a breathtaking scene is early on where, where Cheney is still a legislative assistant and asked Rumsfeld, which I mean, it's ridiculous that somebody wrote this scene and other people allowed this to be in the movie. It's like, you know, Donald Rumsfeld, what do we believe in? And then Steve Carell, it, it, I mean, it's great delivery, although it's a ridiculous scene, just starts laughing, just genuinely just laughing out loud, and then just walks away and closes the door. And Cheney just stands there on the other side of the closed door and listens to him laugh by himself. But <laughs> I mean, like, as funny as that was in the moment, it feels so dismissive. They're basically just saying, what do neoconservatives actually believe? doesn't matter. They don't believe anything. They just, they're, they're just in it for themselves, which is completely not, it's, it's like he, no. he, he really wants to think of Cheney as like Trump, as somebody who is just there as like part of like a self-enriching con. And that's not, I mean, the scary thing about Cheney is he's like a true believer. You know, he actually like thinks he understands how the world works and he can like ram through you know, the, the, you, like, like here's the interesting thing. So the very first scene is this sort of 9-11 scene, at which point we, we flash back. And the sort of chilling end of it is that, like, you know, everybody in this room is feeling a lot of things. But Cheney was feeling something that nobody else was. He was feeling the sort of uh, the sense of opportunity. And then when we come back to it, we I think we're supposed to feel that the opportunity was the opportunity to sort of seize power for its own sake. That, like, this was Cheney's chance to be the most important man in the world. Didn't matter what he's going to do with that power. All that mattered was that he was the guy. But I was thinking, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, it was just sort of like, I can't wait to hear what he feels this is an opportunity for. And I kind of feel like it's it's selling Dick Cheney short in that, like, they didn't even really bother to sort of say, what is it that Dick Cheney believes? Right, because there was a whole, there was a whole kind of intellectual... Um, apparatus and the 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 film talks about intellectualism mostly as an ex post facts of ex post facto justification for what you want to do and the idea of like the justice department torture memos for example or the um the one saying that you know presidential authority is absolute not beholden to congress and not beholden to international treaties even if they've been signed by the president or something like that 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 is not you know uh that those things are sort of talked about as being uh as being like ways ways of justifying whatever you want to do and the idea that like well you can sort of cite there's a little hocus pocus right there's a little in the the uh in the on-screen text of like well those are still in the justice department computers uh, right like okay i mean like everything's in every computer a little bit we have the internet now the uh the idea that they can be they can be cited yeah but that's not like you know it's not like having i guess it's like having paprika in um having paprika in in the spice cabinet you're going to uh you're going to be able to reach in and sort of drop however much you want into the stew whenever you want yeah but you know then then you might not have very successful dinner parties if if you keep doing it over and over yeah the 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 problem 
the problem is it's not totally clear what he's being criticized for, right? Is he like George W. Bush? I mean, this is the kind of standard knock on George W. Bush that he's a, a, a fr- idiot frat boy who sort of, by dint of, of privilege and luck, got into this position and ended up doing a whole bunch of uh, ended up doing a whole bunch of damage. Um, or is he, you know, Richard III, who, by dint of, of Machiavellian scheming, got into his uh, got into his position and was and what was he trying to what was he trying to advance? I mean, did he really have a kind of make America great again agenda of like seeing, um, you know, seeing America as supreme and everyone else uh, as as expendable, everyone else in the world, or was he trying to accrue power uh, to himself so that he could do great things with it. He didn't really seem to have a grand strategy. If that's, you know, if that's what it was, was it just to, to divide up the oil fields of, of Iraq for the, uh, for the oil companies? I mean, yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of shady stuff going on, but the idea that there was a, it's the, the problem with being critical and being unclear about what the bad thing is that the person has done is that it's not quite clear clear what you're criticizing and what the, I don't know what the, the sort of bad thing is. And, and to me, this weakness was exemplified mostly in the final montage, the one that included uh, Parkland school, the, I think it was, or no, maybe it was Parkland or maybe it was the Sandy Hook. I thought it was Sandy Hook. Yeah. Yeah. The school shooting, but then also from very, very recent, uh, the uh, very very recent events, um, the detention of of children, of immigrant children at the border, children sleeping on those uh, horrible, um, you know, uh, tinfoil blankets, uh, and and being kept in in cages under armed guard. You know, it's and and those are hideous pictures to look at. Frankly, a lot of a lot of the images used in this movie to shock are are. Uh, are hideous. I feel like they would be more hideous in context rather than as just like a, a brief hit of of kind of mainlining emotion and shock. But uh, the the that montage that was the one that I to me was like okay this is an intellectual failure on the, on the part of the movie. I th- I think maybe Matt you and Pete would. Um, identify uh, other ones but that was the only one that was over the line for me because it was like look every every political thing that we think is bad every event every kind of event of a na- of national scale uh that we think is bad is the fault of dick cheney right and is the fault of this this mentality um whatever this mentality is because it because it's ill-defined it, it's sort of it's like soup it's you know it's like saying the soup is bad because there's too much paprika in it and like not really um not really you got to list all the ingredients in the soup like it's a top chef or something like that (laughs) yeah yeah i mean even something as basic as like at the end of the movie is dick cheney happy with what he accomplished in his time in office or is he not i mean i I guess i think the movie is really unclear i think what adam mckay is telling us is that dick cheney wanted to be the most powerful vice president ever and he was and on the side, as sort of like a side note, he managed to enrich himself and his cronies. Therefore, he was extremely happy and he accomplished what he wanted in office. But I kind of feel like in real life, 
it, it doesn't really come up in the movie, but like when Bush left office, his approval rating was significantly lower than Trump's has ever been, right? As unpopular as Trump seems at times that like Bush was just, you know, everybody on both sides of the aisle wanted nothing to do with that man. And and Cheney was much less popular than even Bush. And I got to feel that like whatever Cheney thought he was going to accomplish when he wrote into office or when he launched those wars, he didn't accomplish. They didn't go the way he thought that they would. Um, and I feel like none of that comes off because the movie makes it seem like all he wants to do is like be this important rich dude who's sort of like cackling with all his cronies at the at the fictional restaurant of of civil uh, liberties. OK, here's a, I mean. Here, oh, sorry. You, you go, Pete. Oh, I was I was going to say. Oh, by the I way, mean, great cameo from Alfred Molina at that, yeah. at, in that thing as the as the hoity-toity waiter. Sorry, Pete, you Definitely. go. The Margot Robbie of this movie was Alfred <laughs> Molina, the waiter. Uh, but actually, it was Todd from Breaking Bad. But um, yeah, that's I think I I think that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that there's that Dick Cheney was seeking to create an authority. And that he sort of wanted to dwell in this authority, but he seemed to want to create the authority uh, almost independently from his own participation in it. Like it's something he uh, yearned for. Uh, I don't know. There's something about the this is one of the weird things about this is this is a biopic that I don't think we meet anybody from Dick Cheney's life prior to him interning at the White House other than his wife and his wife's parents, right? We don't meet any of his family. We don't see anything about how he was raised, anything about why did he choose Lynn? What happened? How did he get to this point? There's just the car, right? There's like, there's the, there's the car that he's in, that he's drunk driving in, that's kind of rattling its way down the road. And I don't know, I, I if I'm trying to find out what I feel like the movie's really trying to say, it's like that Dick Cheney saw this, experienced this car and this sort of state of weakness and dirtbagitude, and he was charged with creating a greatness. And it wasn't ever going to be his greatness because he was always a dirtbag because he always hated himself. And that's why he's always destroying himself and he's only doing it. it. It's a movie that is both trying to bash toxic masculinity and also bash him for being henpecked by his wife. Right. Which is entirely hypocritical. Right? This idea that like, uh, man, if, if he were a real man, he would a not be mean to gay people and b show his wife who's boss. Right. Like It's like, come on, dude. Like, it's definitely hypocritical on that front. But but yes, either it's that Dick Cheney is entirely self-interested and is doing all this stuff in order to enrich himself and his cronies and achieve power. Or he's sort of built this weird Voltron robot of an executive branch out of some sort of personal psychological yearning that's not really explained and that the real danger is that this has now been handed off to Trump and that Trump now has this giant, you know, mecha robot and can do with it whatever he wants. Which which elides uh, which elides a very important period of eight years of Barack Obama as president, who consolidated executive power, you know, who seemed to be just fine with the consolidation of executive power and seemed to put things in place that operate just fine as long as you have a benevolent philosopher king, uh, you know, ruling the republic like Plato envisioned, and uh, falls apart falls apart entirely when uh, you know when someone refuses to someone refuses to abide by those norms yeah i feel like the period it, this movie skipped a lot of important periods in time it skipped newt gingrich entirely and just basically elided reagan to george w bush as one thing which is kind of silly um but uh if you ask me but also it elided that really interesting period of time during the actual iraq war 
I mean, I guess, as you guys remember, as I recall, what happened with that war in the public eye wasn't that people figured out that it was wrong because people knew that the Iraq war was stupid when we were doing it. I mean, there was a lot of approval for it, but like there was not a secret. This just like the big short, Adam McKay seems to love to think that nobody that everybody did. Nobody was saying that this was a bad idea. Lots of people were saying it was a bad idea. But given the public environment at the time, they couldn't stop it. Right. Everybody wanted it. Everybody was really cheering for it. The flag was waving and all sorts of stuff was going on. And there's a period of time during which the war drags on and the war crimes pile up that the American public doesn't necessarily turn against the Bush administration, but gets really bored of it. Right. Just gets distaste, just like loses the enthusiasm for the whole Iraq thing. And Abu Ghraib was the real turning point uh, in my mind. That's like the sort of quagmire Vietnam moment is all the stuff that came out in Abu Ghraib, which, of course, happened like years after the events of this movie, the main events of this movie where the war is launched. And it's positing and also the whole thing about ISIS you know, that's just years later. Right. It's t- entirely, entirely, dis- entirely disengages the Shia of any sort of agency and anything that happened to that country, uh, their country, you could even say. Right. Um, and uh, for good or for ill, it totally forgets the Arab Spring and all sorts of other stuff that happened that affected the Islamic world. And also, but at any rate, the big thing is, uh, and and a movie that I would throw in here that engages with this idea a little bit more and perhaps better is the movie. Do you guys watch the Oliver Stone movie W? Um, no. with jo- James Brolin, Richard Dreyfus plays Dick Cheney in that movie and he plays the missing piece of Dick Cheney. That's not in this movie, which is like Dick Cheney, the like mastermind who is looking at the world map and envisioning a world in which America has access to all the oil, which is great because America is a democracy and we can't afford to have dictators have access to all the oil. So we're going to have this, you know, it's an Oliver Stone movie. So you, you go into it with a certain amount of skepticism about whether it's true or not. But, um, Richard Dreyfuss's Dick Cheney is very different from Christian Bale's Dick Cheney. But W is very engaged with the psychological deconstruction of the kind of frat man child of George W. Bush. And this idea of that that whole ideal kind of like slowly collapsing uh, seems to play into the psychodrama of that movie more than this one, where it's sort of like Dick Cheney did this thing and it was bad. And the next thing you know, Donald Rumsfeld, who I I guess is able to wield politics like a butterfly knife, but we never see him do it, right? Like is is like hiding in a closet and packing his bags to leave because people found out that that Dick Cheney founded ISIS. And it's just like you skipped a lot, man. Like you skipped a whole kind of the, the whole transformation of the American soul. You just danced over it. Right. Like that. And then I, that's the part of it that really breaks my heart is that that, that whole tragedy, uh, you know, they, they give you the big soliloquy at the beginning of it, but they don't show you or even give you the opportunity to experience that extent of time, which I felt was so critical. Maybe it's just because it was formative years for me as an adult. But uh, that whole drag, I mean, it was I, I presume it was our generation's Vietnam in the sense of like what it did to the sort of belief in the in the uh, and the confidence in the country. Right. Um, and and everything that had the ideas that support this uh, this executive that Dick Cheney is so in love with. Um, anyway, I'm getting way too deep into the weeds. It does, I mean, that, it, yeah. does, it does seem to support the kind of like opt out. uh the sort of like none of the above, you know, 2016 type of uh, type of thing, right? Like because it 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 seems to support disillusionment. You know, if if the if the uh, American executive is a Renaissance king, you know, um, the 
so a brief brief digression. I may have told this story on the thing, but when I was in acting school, we got um, uh, we got access to David Rhodes, who is an incredible scholar of of English literature, to talk to us uh, to do the the uh, dr- dramatic literature and kind of dramatic history classes with us, and and uh, he saw us do Hamlet once in a pretty good production of Hamlet um, as as they go. Uh, it was like two hours, so that's in its favor already. Um, and he said, uh, he said to us, uh, the, the one critique I have is that none of you look scared enough around the king. Uh, because anyone standing in the vicinity of a Renaissance monarch would be scared poopless. And, and, uh, because at a whim, this, this person has absolute authority over, over life and death. And this is kind of the picture that emerges both with the kind of the, the Shakespearean interlude, um, and uh, both with the Shakespearean interlude and it, with some of the montages of death and destruction um, that kind of happen at a, at a whim, the torch, the torch being snuffed out, right? Like if this is a man who can snuff out your torch, if you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, if, if the American executive is in fact a Renaissance monarch, then there really is no reason to participate in the, in the political process, you know, and the kind of the, the very complex relationship between, uh, author- the authoritarian executive and, um, gerrymandering and, you know, the, the, uh, the work of, of, you know, solidifying, um, solidifying power bases and the kind of the the boomers holding on to jobs more in the democratic party than actually this this movie calls it out as being like the democratic leadership tends to be older right oh no sorry that's not that was a podcast that i was listening to recently that like uh there there are a lot of there are a lot of very 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 messy details that account for the current political uh, political climate, but this the the film I think seems to want to say that you know there is a cigar smoke filled room with with powerful old white dudes uh, you know wrinkled and whatnot laughing and and uh, eating steaks while they uh, you know draw draw you know, cast lots for Jesus garments or or what have you, and that's not I mean that that seems. Um, that seems retrograde to the cause of social progress, uh, if anything. Cheery. <laughs> I mean, I final think, final, well, final I, word from you, Matt. It just feels like all of us are particularly critical of this movie because we feel like it's such a missed opportunity or such almost like a necessary opportunity if it, it feels like somebody needs to make a good movie reckoning with what happened during those years and how it sort of set up what's happening now we're almost and too, this I, is don't you feel like we're too close to it though right like the the i don't know it feels it feels like a lot of the the you know revisionist accounts of vietnam are only are only kind of being being solidified like that's the or have only I mean, you think of all the great uh vietnam war movies i mean was it platoon was like only 10 years after the war ended and i don't know i mean the the iraq war is going to be what it's, it's 15 years old now going on you know and and uh 9-11 is going to be 20 years old i don't think it's too soon to have some perspective on what's going on even though i know we're still living with the consequences uh i mean you didn't what, like the like, nick cage 9-11 movie 
<laughs> World Trade Center. No, actually, no, that, that one was supposed to be good. I don't know if you're you're implicitly making fun of it, but I didn't see it. But I actually heard that that was better than it had any right to be. But I it's mean, also directed was, by Oliver Stone, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Oliver Stone's good. I mean, the, the, speaking of like Apocalypse Now is probably what, like five years after the Vietnam War ended, right? Sure. I mean, I, it seems like are those, well, I guess I don't know. Do those maybe Oliver, yeah. I yeah. mean, maybe Oliver Stone because those are, I mean, the deer hunter was, was very soon after, wasn't it? But like, I, I feel like those are not maybe Oliver Stone because he is, um, he is who he is. He sort of comes at it with a very high stakes, uh, you know, almost cosmological uh, psychodrama in in all of his movies, like the Nixon movie, for example, in in uh, uh, the Oliver Stone Nixon movie, which begins with the epigraph from the Bible. You know, and what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? Uh, right, as an example of the kind of the the stakes, the scale that that Oliver Stone is playing on. But it seems like those are all very visceral very personal movies i mean that as a compliment yeah. uh they're about uh, the, they're, they're about the experience sorry. of of they're about the experience of people living through those events and not necessarily about a, an, an analysis of causes or of like a, a kind of fundamental understanding yeah just to clarify the oliver stone vietnam movie is platoon not apocalypse now and oh right platoon, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's is, yeah. yeah 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 exactly and platoon is exactly what matt's saying it is plus willem dafoe so you gotta yeah. love that. Definitely. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe it's like you need. I mean, here's the thing. Like, yes, I agree that like more time needs to elapse to have some historical perspective. But what you lose there is that nobody involved in making the movie actually lived through the thing. Like, you could make a Nixon movie now and have more perspective than they did when they made All the President's Men. But like, nobody making the movie now really voted for Nixon or followed the impeachment proceedings in the newspaper when it happened. Whereas that, like, I, what it, what I think is nice about one of the things that that I think is good about Vice is you feel like both the filmmakers and let's uh, most of the audience almost all of the audience have a very personal connection with the events that we remember those elections and we remember you know the the day that Colin Powell gave that speech to the United Nations and so it's like we're you know we're wrestling with our own experiences and our own sort of like emotional memories of those times and i'm sure somebody will make a movie about those years 20 years or 30 years from now but those will be people for whom it's all history Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of the saving private Ryan curtain, right? Where it's like at a certain point you're on the yeah. other side of it. Right. Yeah. Whereas that like all those John Wayne World War II movies were were made, you know, by and for people who like had war experience, right? You know, all through the the fifties. And it it maybe yeah, I think that like, you know, in a way I think in a lot of ways that like modern war movies that are like more explicit about the violence that don't uh, romanticize any of it as much, you know, Saving Private Ryan might be a better war movie than like the war movies of like the 50s. But I'm glad those movies were made, those war movies that were sort of like by the people who actually were there in the trenches and came back and wrote screenplays about it. I realized that the trenches were more of a World War One thing than a World War Two thing. But you get the point that like I feel like maybe in we we need both of them. We need the 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 movies that were written by the people who had the first hand experience and the movies by the people who have the perspective. Well there's I mean there's actually uh there's a Peter Jackson film called They Shall They Shall Not Grow Old, right? Mm-hmm. About about World War One. We talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, just in in reference to 
I forget what episode we talked about it on, but it, it was uh, it's actual footage from from World War One that was uh, captured by the kind of British what the authority in charge of shooting film of World War One of kind of documenting the soldiers in the war and what people were go- going through. But it's been colorized, cleaned up, uh, stabilized, and um, and forensic lip readers employed to fill in the dialogue uh, of the people who who are on, on these silent movies and, and speaking on them and then um, and then interviews from from the people who were there uh, from sort of later um, but not too much later were you know interviews uh, laid over as the narration it would be kind of an interesting one it would be kind of an interesting one to to go to right because it, at, a, at a certain point you know at a certain point what is our what is our obligation to history? What is our obligation to uh, to to kind of co-opt and bastardize a phrase that was very current around nine eleven uh, to never forget, right? And and how 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 do we never forget? You know, and how do we draw the lessons that we draw? Um, and how do we sort of ratify for ourselves the people who we are? Right. This seems to be the enterprise that a lot of these that a lot of these films are a lot of these films are engaged in. This one being very very provocative, with Dick Cheney saying at the end, "Look, I work for you, you know, and you put me here and you set me to do this." A very interesting idea. Like, to to what extent are we complicit in you know global horror uh, because we buy Levi's jeans and drink Coca Cola? Interesting question. Not one that the that the film sort of uh, that the film sort of really addresses. Um, but I'd like to close this podcast by saying that uh, you think we've done a bad job at the podcast. Well, poop on you. You we're the podcast that you subscribed to, and we're doing the job because we see that it it has to be done. Uh, so thank you for listening. <laughs> And thank you, Matt and Pete, for uh, for podcasting with me. And and um, thank you to all the members who uh, to, who support us. If you want to join them and and um, uh, kick a little bit of cash back to overthinking it, uh, not not a uh, twenty six million dollar exit package, not by any means, but five bucks a month to support what we do. Head to overthinkingit.com slash join. We'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast next week. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve And now, uh, I actually think uh, one of you should probably call an ambulance at this point. (laughs) Flawless victory. Fatality. (laughs)